Um, we're going to do a uh, baptism service on, on November 10th, and we'll, we'll do a baptism service anytime. We'll, we'll baptize people anytime that someone says they want to. And right now we have two people that are, that are wanting to get baptized. And so on November 10th, we're going to do it. If you've been considering getting baptized, if you've got questions about baptism, if you would um, like to get baptized, you can either put on the little communication card in front of you and, and hand that in when the, when the buckets are passed later, or you can um, come find one of us or email us after service. Again, baptism, similar to uh, the ring in, in, in a marriage, is, is a symbol of the vows that are exchanged. I think baptism is the first litman, litmus test to our walk with Christ. It's, it's, a, it's a symbolism of the vows that are made in the covenant relationship with, with Christ. So it's very, very valuable. It's very important. And um, we really, really believe in it. So I would encourage you, if you have questions or, or anything about that, or, you're, or you've been kind of toying with it, um, that maybe uh, let us know so we can, we can get you baptized November 10th, so a couple weekends away. Um, we've been in the, in, the, in the book of Matthew. We're in the Sermon on the Mount and in the Beatitudes, and, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive in. But before I do, I just want to kind of re-hit again. The, the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes is, is an incredibly pragmatic section of text. It, it has lots of do's and don'ts, and I think it's really easy for each of us to try and come to this and go, oh, well, I need to do more of this or, or less of that. And, and and, and don't forget that Jesus, is, as he's speaking, as he's teaching here, he's, he's teaching about the heart. And who we are will always, always take and make us be or do things. So, so it's about our character inside, not just some actions of what we do. It's about being with God first and, and recognizing who Christ is and allowing his spirit to work through us. It's not something that we just need to muster up more strength to make happen or, or, or make ourselves super powerful to... to, to to manipulate or move things. It's, it's literally us surrendering our life to Christ and allowing his spirit that he puts inside of us to live this out. And so it's very key, especially as we get a little bit further into the Sermon on the Mount, it's very easy for us to go into, well, I just need to be more of this or do more of this or do less of this. You are everything that you need to be in Christ alone. And it's not really changed by what you do or don't do. It's, it's a matter of, of being with him. We, we do and don't do because of who he is and him doing it through us, not because of ourselves. And so as we dig in, I'm going to pray real quick, and then we'll, we'll jump into Matthew 5. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your text. Thank you for um, just bringing us here. God, it is, um, it is always a crazy week, and as, as the holidays come in, and, and busyness of schedule, and kids in school, God, it's so easy to be distracted. It's so easy to just add uh, one more thing to the checklist, and check it off, and say, okay, I did it, and I showed up to church today. God, would you just allow um, your word to penetrate the hearts of each of us? God, would you remove all the distractions, maybe the anxieties, the fears, the, the, the craziness of life? Would you just, would you just calm it down and, and would you remove uh, me and, and any other person in this room and just allow each of us to sit in the presence with you, God? Would you speak to our hearts? Um, would you speak to us in a way that, that you get the glory, um, that you get um, the opportunity to work through our lives this week where we are changed to look more and more like your son, Jesus Christ, and less and less like ourselves? So it's in his name we pray, Father. Amen. The Matthew, uh, Matthew 5, chapter, uh, chapter 1 through 5, essentially, is where we're at. And Jesus, seeing the crowds, he, he, he goes up on a mountain or on a hill, and he, and he sits down. And the disciples come and sit with him, and he begins to teach them. And the first beatitude was, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Talked about how the kingdom of heaven is theirs today, although not incomplete, but it is theirs today by being poor in spirit. And he said, blessed are the mo- those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, which where we were last week. And then this week, it is blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And meek is one of those words, I thought it was really funny because it's not a really common word in our vocabulary. You don't really, when describing someone, you don't really go, oh, they're so meek. 
you know, or hey, you know, have you met Joe? He's he's a meek he's a meek Joe. You know, it's just it doesn't really come out. It's kind of lost its meaning. It's lost its value. And so I wanted to spend a little bit of time as we look at this beatitude and figure out kind of what what the definition of this is, maybe how it would apply to us today. And it's, it's important to know that in the context of, of Jesus saying this, the Jews had a, had a belief, and, and you see this all over in the Gospels. It, it, you see it in John the Baptist. You see it after Jesus is, is, is hung on the cross. Everyone kind of talks about what they hoped for. They had this hope that Jesus, or, or whoever the Messiah was before Jesus stepped in the scene, that the Messiah would come and conquer He'd come in strong and powerful and he'd, he'd crush the rule. At that time was Roman rule and he would take the rightful spot and Israel would reign as kings and he would be like super powerful and a military would be behind him. And this is the picture that, that everyone had of the Messiah. And here's the Messiah we know as Matthew's been teeing it up as Messiah and King and Jesus is who he is. And he says, he doesn't come up and say, well, those who are powerful will take over like we've seen in war after war. It's, it's, it's how strong you are in war how much power you have to win in battle. No, he, he uses the opposite. He says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And to anyone in this context, and to our day, it's no, no, you have to take what you want. You have to drive. You have to get, you have to, you have to place yourself and fight for what you want. You're not going to get anything by just being meek. No, the powerful. We have to leverage our, our title and our, our, our awareness and who we are. We have to leverage what, what we have and make it, make it work for our goals to get what we need. And that was very much the Jews' belief at that time. And that's, the, that's honestly, that's the way most of us live today. Right? It's about what, what I have, what, what degree I have, and what my strengths are to get what I want. And I need to leverage that stuff. I need to bring power to the situation so that I can, I can do it. I'm independent. But see, that's not, that's, that's not meekness. And so I wanted to real quickly talk about what meekness isn't, or meek, because a lot of times when you hear the word meek, the joke is it, it's weak. In fact, in this time, the only way that the word meek would have been defined or used was usually used in, in relation to a slave, a slave who was under the control of someone. So they were, they were meek in that regard. But, but meekness isn't cowardice. It isn't complacency. It's not a lack of confidence. It's not shyness or withdrawn personality. Meekness is not weakness. It's not even reduced to just near niceness. In fact, meekness isn't finding peace at all costs or being a doormat or, or, or being, being just nothing. Meekness is, is nothing to that. In fact, meekness, the way it's defined and the way that it's, it's biblically defined, the word is most likely, most commonly used in regards to a wild horse being tamed. See, a wild horse is, is magnificent, it's strong, it's beautiful, it's awesome, but, but as far as serving the needs or the purposes of, of man, it's useless wild. It, we, it is no good for us. So, so a, a very strong, wonderful horse, tamed, domesticated, and used is the word meekness. It's taking something incredibly powerful and putting it under the control of something else willingly. So meekness isn't, isn't weak. Meekness is ex, ex, intense strength. Meekness is being strong and capable of doing a lot, but submitting, surrendering, willingly, willingly surrendering yourself under the control of something else. Hence the wild horse idea. So meekness has nothing to do with being weak. Meekness isn't, oh, well, you just got to be some guy that's in touch with your feelings and just cry all the time. That's, 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 not, that's not what this is. Meekness has, has everything to do with strength. In fact, the word meek um, is also translated a lot in, in the New Testament as well as gentle. 
and they go one in hand in hand. But, but I, I want to be clear, there's a difference. Gentle and meekness, they're, they're one and the same, but meekness is, is truly having power and putting it under the control of someone else. So in the context of you and I, we're not horses, but in the context of you and I, it's recognizing who we are and surrendering our control, our life under the control of God. It's placing ourselves under him. So meekness is, is a matter of, of you and I willingly letting our lives be controlled. See, we can, we can be independent. We can be tough. We can muster up strength and we can do the things that, that we, we need to do and we can make it happen. But meekness is saying, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna surrender control and I'm gonna give control to someone else. In fact, the, the term that you and I are to use if we're in Christ, the most defining term of who we are is that we are bond servants. We are slaves to Christ. So we have placed ourselves under control of Christ. He is our supreme controller. He's, he's leading our lives. So no matter what we have in strength, we recognize it is nothing unless under his control. So we're going to look at a few texts. I want to I start with Psalm 37, um, 11. This, this text is most likely the text that Jesus was pulling from or referencing, and he does this over and over again when he teaches. But Psalm 37, 11 says, But the meek shall inherit the Lord, or shall inherit the land, and delight themselves in abundant peace. And I thought this was interesting because, because it's the same thing. It's this idea that there's an inheritance that comes by being meek. It's, it's not that if you're really strong, you can take it and you get what you want. It's in your meekness, you inherit something incredibly valuable. And so what we wanted to do real quickly is I wanted to actually look at this text because I feel like there's, there's something that, that talks about who God is and, and who we are in him in the design of meekness. So he says in verse 11, they, they shall inherit the land. But what is he talking about before that? What are some attributes that we can see biblically of what meekness looks like? I think we can pull it actually from, from Psalm 37 here. It's, it's Psalm 37, 5 through 11. Actually, we're going to go back. It says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness at, as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him fret or do not worry do not be anxious not yourself over the one who prospers in his ways over the man who carries out evil devices refrain from anger and forsake wrath fret not worry not yourself it tends only to evil for the evildoer shall be cut off but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land in just a little while the wicked will be no more though you though you look carefully at this place at his place he will not be there but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. In this text, I think we find out a, a couple keys to meekness. In fact, I think the foundation, and the first one is, is that it is, for us to be meek, meek people have to trust in God. See, if I'm gonna give myself under the control of something, I have to have complete trust in it. That its, its control and its ways are better than mine. So a meek person is gonna give and believe fully that, that they can trust God for who he is. They can trust in him that he will work for them. He will vindicate them. He will, he will, he will stand in control in sovereign ways and, and for them. So a meek person trusts in God, trusts in him. Biblical meek, meekness is rooted in deep confidence that God is for you and that God is in control. So to be meek, you have to trust God first. The second thing we pull from this text is, is that they commit their ways to, to God. Meek people commit their ways to, to God. The Hebrew word for, for commit literally means to roll. 
to roll something onto us. It's the idea that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll my anxieties onto God. I'm going to roll my life onto God. I'm going to roll my, my family onto God, my relationships, my job. It's I'm going to commit everything to him. You can only do that if you trust him. You're not going to roll anything on to him if you don't trust him. So a meek person trusts who God is in his power and therefore will roll their life, will, will lay their life out before him and on him and allow him to carry it. It's this idea of rolling out relationships, health, fears, frustrations, all of it onto the Lord. We admit that our, our insufficiencies to cope with the, the troubles and the trials of this world, so therefore we lay it at the one who we trust in, the one who's in control. Third, third reason, um, or third thing we can pull for about meek people in this text is that meek people wait patiently in stillness for the work of God in their lives. I think this is one that we, as general, are really horrible at. In fact, patience is, is one of those things I think all of us have struggles at. Me, it's when I'm driving. I don't know if anyone else struggles at, but man, I'm, I have a hard time being patient. But, but a meek person is willing to sit and be still before God. I think it's really interesting. If you look at all the promises that we see in the scripture, you know, Abraham and Sarah, Sarah was promised a child. It took 25 years before she actually held that baby. And we talk about patience. And some of us, it's like, I've waited for a week. God, come on. What's going on? It's been a couple hours. In fact, James defines this, this world as a, this life, our life in this world as a vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. See, meek people, they sit patiently before God. I think one of the things that, that the church has done a really poor job is we've talked about doing for God and doing and doing and doing and you gotta go do and you gotta go do. And we forget that we need to just sit and be with God. It's not a, not a ploy for being lazy, but it's, it's that we need to be present with him. We need to be still. We need to listen in the quietness of life. A meek person is going to be still before God that, it tr that he trusts, that they trust that they've rolled their life on and they're going to lay whatever it is, whatever situation. I want to be married. I want to, I want to finish my career. I want to finish school. I want to do all these things. They're going to lay it on him and wait patiently for God to move. See, they have a kind of calm that comes from knowing that God is all-powerful and that all of our affairs are under his control and that he knows what is best. So a meek person not only trusts in God, lays their life on him, control, like rolls their life on him, but is willing to sit patiently and wait for him to move, to him to speak. When was the last time you were just still before God? It takes a lot of work for my mind to stop going and just sit with God. It's a noisy, noisy world. Meek people have a quiet steadiness about their lives in the midst of chaos fourth thing we can get out of this is, is that they don't worry or they don't fret over the wicked. And I didn't really understand this text until I was in the Philippines last January and I saw wickedness at a level I'd never experienced before. And I can tell you right now, that wickedness, all I wanted to do was vindicate and make right all the things that were going. And it doesn't make sense that those that are wicked are prosperous. Those that are wicked are, are actually moving forward and I, and I got anxious about it and frustrated and realized that really it's a broken world. See, those that are meek may have some power to try and tell someone what they're doing wrong. But they don't get in the way of God's vengeance. They allow God to vindicate. They understand that God is a just God. Again, this comes back to the waiting patiently. 
having the power to do something and still acting. I still think we're called to act in that. But when anxiousness sets in and worry and, and all these other things, you're not trusting God is in control. I think it's a, 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 the reason why I think this definition is so hard for us is it's having the power. It's, it's actually being right. It's like the person that's sitting in front of you at the line with the checkout with 30 things and you know it's only 20 items. You counted them to make sure, right? A meek person doesn't point out that they have 30 items. Right? A meek person says, no, you know what? I am right in telling them, but it, what, what good is it going to do? Get them in trouble? Yeah, you got to go somewhere else, sucker. Meekness is having the ability to do something, but recognizing that you are not in control, but God is. It's not, I'm not talking about doorstep or just walking away from, there's, there's, there's reasons to step in for truth and grace. And we'll get there in a second. But meekness is, is, is recognizing, it's recognizing that, that wicked may prosper, but we're not gonna worry about that because God is just, God is in control. And my life is in his hands, not mine. Thank you. Another aspect of, of meekness comes from James 1, 19 through 21. It says, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. See, James is laying out two kinds of people. There's the people that are quick to speak and quick to anger and slow to hear. People that, that when, when it comes to receiving the word of God, they're hostile to it first and quick to be angry. They instantly, they instantly avoid or push back or lash out. And then there's a second kind that are slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to anger. He's not saying you can't be angry. There's nothing wrong with that. We're just not sin in our anger. Right? If you can figure out how to do that, let me know because I'm still struggling with that one. But he's saying be slow to it. So a meek person has an understanding that they're going to receive the gospel. They're going to see the truth of, of God. They're going to receive that and, and, and posture themselves in a way where they're going to listen first before they speak. I'm not saying gullible. I'm not saying you're just gullible. You take whatever anyone says anytime. That's, that's dangerous. What I'm saying is that when, when, when you are receiving the word of God, you receive it with meekness. You listen. You discern. In fact, your heart's desire should be, is there anything in me that does not line up with the truth? If so, purge that from me. Not, well, this is what I believed one time and therefore you're wrong. And therefore I'll write you off. We usually struggle with this when it comes to authority because a lot of people with authority have abused that. They have not been meek in their authority. And so when we see anyone in authority and they come at us with truth, we instantly, we stiff arm. We're quick to angry. We're quick to judge. A meek person is slow to anger, slow to speaking. So meekness is teachable. We receive the word with meekness means that you don't have a resistant, hostile spirit when we are being taught. This becomes even clearer in James 3, 13, where he says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. See, truly wise people are truly meek people. This, is, this was really intriguing to me. Look at, look at 317. It says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, or meek, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Notice that the reason the truly wise person is also the truly meek person is that true wisdom is peaceable and gentle. 
Isn't it remarkable that the marks of biblical wisdom and biblical meekness are the same? It's just intriguing that they're actually the same. In a sense, meekness and wisdom are one thing. They're both peaceable and gentle. They're lived out by the fruit of the Spirit. Another aspect of meekness, and this is in regards to um, sin or struggle. I think I want to hit this one and then we'll, we'll, we'll figure out where we're going after that. But Galatians 6, 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness or meekness. See, now this one's, this one's hard because what he's essentially saying is that, is that you will see sin or struggle in other brothers and sisters. You will see that. But we're called as those who are in Christ, spiritual, those who are in Christ, we're called to, to, to bring them, to restore them, to help restore them back to Christ. But we're to do that with meekness. That means that we look, we pull the plank out of our own eye first. That means we do it with grace and truth means we do it with love and gentleness, but there is a time to act. A meek person recognizes truth and, and, and understands they've received it with meekness. They've, they've implanted that word in them, and they understand when someone is in sin and struggle, and they, they desire to restore them with meekness, with gentleness, not in some condemning way, not in some, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you how weak you are so I can show you how strong I am. That is not meekness. But a meek person does recognize sin and struggles and therefore enters into that with other people. The trick is the person that's being receiving that to receive that with meekness as well. So not, as, not only is meekness slow to speak or slow to anger, but when it decides that it must speak, even its words of correction are gentle and meek. Stand back and look at this for a second. So meekness is first trusting in God, recognizing who he is and surrendering, surrendering ourselves under his control. It's then committing, rolling our life onto him, our, our fears, our anxiousness, our, 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 our families, our relationships, our health. It's rolling all of that onto him and then waiting patiently for him to lead, sitting in stillness before him. Not, not allowing ourselves to be angry over, over wickedness in this world that leads to sin, but allowing ourselves to recognize that he is sovereign, he is a just God. Being slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to anger. See, meekness begins with God and ends with God. As I was sitting there thinking about this text and trying to figure out, like, okay, well, how are we going to, how does this apply to us? What, is this, what does this look like? What's a, a good example? And, and my mind went to, uh, went to um, Saul and David. In fact, this psalm right here, Psalm 37, is, is best attributed to David, King David. And he's, he's known for, you know, the Bathsheba story or, or killing Goliath. And David's got some things, but he's, he's, he's messed up. But, but we also know, we find out in Acts later, that, that he is, he's a man after God's own heart. And I was intrigued, okay, this is, this is his verse, this is the one that he wrote, anointed by the Spirit in, by, of God, writing down this Psalm 37 about meekness. And I was like, well, what about his life was meek then? And I came to the story of, of David and Saul. See, David, when he was young, his, his Samuel was supposed to go to this, his family and find the next king. And so Samuel, his, his, or David's dad brings all of his brothers who are big and powerful and look the part of a king. And Samuel's like, no, no, no. And he finally says, is there any other kid? And the dad's like, well, you know, there's one guy that 
ah, he's a little kid. He's kind of around. He's out with the sheep. We'll bring him to me. And we find out that he's the one to be anointed king. In fact, the promise is, David, you will be king. And you will, you will be victorious over even the current king. You will, you will have his head on a platter, in essence. And he gets this promise early on. And then life goes on. And it's, it's years before he's actually king. In fact, he ends up being a servant to Saul, the king at that time. And he's, he's a servant to him, and he has, finds favor with him. In fact, Saul, we see that Saul says that he sees that the Lord's favor is on him, so then Saul's favorable with him. And some time goes, and he kills Goliath in the middle of that, and like things are going awesome for David. And what happens is, is Saul sees that the anointing is on David, and he's to be king, and so Saul gets jealous. And Saul uses his power, his position, to start persecuting and chasing David. It gets bad enough that David ends up leaving and running from him at some point. And he's, we get to the scene where he's out in the hillside and he's hidden in this cave with his men. And Saul's brought 3,000 men out to kill him and to ruin him. And Saul, you know, because you always do this when you're in war, he has to relieve himself. And so he, he heads into a cave to go relieve himself. And this cave is dark. He's got his back. And David and his men are sitting back behind. And Saul has no idea that David's in that, in that cave. And here the men are standing next to him and saying, look, David, here's your chance. God has just just delivered you on a platter Saul's head take it and you can be king that's what God promised he promised you'd be king now do it take control and do it and David steps forward and feels convicted not to do that and he just cuts a little piece of his robe off instead and then Saul exits the cave and gets a ways away we don't know how far but uh, close enough where David could yell and say hey look look I have your robe I could have killed you but who am I to attack God's anointed who am I to take into my hands God's control. And so Saul's like, oh, you are a holy man. You shall be king. You're amazing. And he leaves, and I won't, I won't persecute you anymore. And that lasts for a little while, and then he's out chasing him again, trying to kill him. All right? And, and David, David, again, it comes to this spot, and it's this idea of, him sleep, of Saul sleeping in the middle with this army all around him. And somehow David and one other guy get into where Saul is, and there's a stake in the ground or a, a spear in the ground and a, and a glass of water. Not, probably not glass, just so you guys know, but... Um, anyways, um, his spear and some water right there. And, he, and, he, and David, his, 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 his friend standing next to him, like, let me peg this guy to the ground and you will be king. And David says, no. No, it's not my place. It's not my place to take him into my hands. He's in God's hands. And he steps back. Here's a man with immense power served up on a platter. And he could have ended right there. And again, he goes off the hillside and wakes him up and says, hey, guys, you were sleeping. I could have, here's your spear. Here's your glass of water. I could have done it. And I didn't. And again, Saul's like, oh, you're amazing. Thank you. You're going to be king someday. And, and it ends with, with Saul, Saul passing and, king, and David actually being king. And so this has got me getting the question is, is that maybe the biggest issue you and I have with meekness is that we still think we're in control and we think that we have power. And therefore, we need to display it. And so I think in our lives, maybe it's, maybe it's a matter of, it's not necessarily even, even that we're, we're not being patient, but it's at the, at the root and the, the cause, and it's in opposition of the fact that we don't trust God is in control in our life. Maybe it's in, in your relationship. And I had this, this, this thought and this question, and, and I'm not sure if it's, if it's applicable, but when Jesus came, you know, everyone expected him to crush Rome. But he didn't. He didn't come in and, and rule the way they expected. In fact, he did something much bigger, much more beautiful. But at the time, there was a lot of disappointed people. 
And I wonder, in your life right now, are you experiencing something where you are either trying to take it and be in control or you're surrendering your power and your independence to the control of God? Maybe it's, maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe you're just, you're just wrestling with independence and understanding. Maybe it's at school, you think you've got all you need to do to, to make the grades happen and you've got a, a plan and you've got a goal and not that goals or plans are bad, but you've got all those things in place and you're like, I'm gonna do this and you forget that you're under the control of a sovereign king. You're a slave to the most high God. I wonder if we could sit down and ask the people in your life and they could be truly honest without any repercussions or consequences. Go up to them and say to your spouse, would you say that your spouse is meek? What their answer would be. Maybe we should ask that question to your coworkers, your classmates, your roommates, to your kids. Man, that one's hard for me. I know that my daughters at times would say, no, dad is not gentle. Dad is not meek with us. What is it? It's because there's this unique promise that Jesus does in here. He says, you shall inherit the earth. I think that this best described is the the, the new earth and the new heaven at the end because, again, it's a future promise. But it's such a weird promise to think about because everyone knew the only way to inherit or gain anything was by taking it. And here he's saying, no, no, relinquish control and it will be yours. Give up control and you have it. It is yours. We're called to be like Christ, and Jesus is the one that's teaching right here. And we see in 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23, if anyone had power, it was Jesus. If anyone had any ability to do what he needed to do to make things right, he could have done it however he wanted in power. And look what he does, 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you you might follow in his steps He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly to his Father in heaven. See, some of you are suffering right now, so you want to make someone else suffer. Some of you are in in a fight with your spouse, and so you're reviling back at him. And Jesus' example is, no, no. You leave that in the hands of a just God. You trust him. You roll that on him. Don't, don't run away from that. Trust him. He is worthy. He is in control. He is powerful. Do you believe that? Like, I understand that, that this is one of those things that week in and week out we're going to struggle with over and over and over again. Meekness is, is not natural for us. In fact, the world is, is hostile to that. But there's this unique promise that Jesus has in this. There's this inheritance of this earth, this, this future promise that is, that is so beautiful, that is so real. And the, and the best part about this is, is that when I fail tomorrow or today driving home with my meekness, his grace is sufficient. And it's not about what I'm doing for him. It's about who I am with him. So maybe all you need to hear today is you need to realize that although you may have power or stature or money or position or prominence, all of that is laid under the control of God. All of that is his to do what he wants to bring glory to his son, Jesus Christ, and not to us. It's not about me or you. 
We have an example. Our example went to a cross, took all the wrath and judgment that I deserved for my place so that I could live a life in right standing with God. And now he says, just live knowing that God's in control and not you. Live knowing that, that every bit of strength you have is nothing compared to the God who created you. Live surrendered, willingly surrendered to the God who is in control, who is all-powerful, who is worthy of rolling our entire life on. And be meek. It's funny, the end of the Beatitudes come into, we are called to be salt and light in this world. And I can't help but, could you just imagine with me, just imagine with me, if, if just for a moment, just for a week or two weeks, the Spirit got inside you and grabbed a hold of meekness and you lived a meek life, could you imagine what would be different in your family? Could you just, just imagine how, how your relationship with your spouse would be different, how your relationship with your kids would be different. What if a community of people that claim to believe in Jesus actually started living that way? Could you, could you imagine the difference if they saw people not condemning but living as meek? People that truly, truly surrendered to the wisdom of God? They didn't try and use their position to make a claim in this world that's, that's, that's ending, but recognize that their best position is to be a slave to Christ under his control, inheriting the kingdom of God, where no more brokenness comes at the end, where all the wickedness is gone and our God is just. Could you imagine what would happen? The band's gonna come up and we're gonna sing a couple more songs. Maybe you've been in here, and before we do, I want to ask, as they're coming up, I want to ask a couple questions about this. First off is, is maybe you've been following God for a long time. You've been like, I've been, I've been like 30 years strong, 20 years strong, or I, I was raised in the church, or I know these answers, I got all this figured out. Maybe your issue with meekness is that you think you have it all figured out. Maybe your issue is, is that God is saying, no, I have something to do with your life. I have, I have a next step that I'm taking you to bring more glory to me, to make less of you and more of Jesus. And you're, you're not allowing yourself to do it because you believe you're still in control. Maybe, maybe you're in here and you're like, I don't even know who God is or I'm, I'm mad at him or I've been around him or he's just, you know what? He's frustrating and, and you're, you're, you're mad at the wickedness in this world. Maybe for you, meekness is understanding that, that, that God is still in control. Maybe you don't see it right now, but God isn't up there going, oh no, what do I do here? I lost it. How does this make happen? And we know that he's not doing that because he sent Jesus to die on a cross for us. We know that he understands the pain of this world because he's, he hung him on a cross for us. Maybe, it's, maybe it's, it's, a, it's a matter of just a compilation of everything and you're like, I just don't know if I can, if I can live for him then really what it comes down to in all situations is a lack of trust in God, a lack of understanding of who you are in Christ. Meekness is, is not easy. But the really, really cool thing is, it's not really ours to do. It begins with God and it ends with Him. The amazing thing is He's given us His Spirit to live a life so that any good that comes out of us is to His granted, for, for His name, His work. So I don't know what it is in you that's wrestling. Maybe if you play that question out and you ask your spouse, like, am I meek or where do I exhort power instead of being under control or ask your children or the people that worked for you or your friends and they were really honest with you. Maybe it's just that. Maybe we just need the, the spirit this week to just, to just push hard in that. Father, I thank you for today. 
God, I know that your word does not fall void, and I know that you stir in our heart, and your spirit is alive and active in those that, that surrender to you. Father, I, I guess just forgive us for our pride in thinking that we can control. Forgive us for not being still or waiting on you. Father, for those in the room that, that have been following you for a long time but are just complacent, God, would you, would you remind them who you are? Would you remind them that their life is not their own? That it was paid for at an immense cost. God, may we be meek people. That whatever it is that our kids would say or my wife would say or, or our spouses would say about us that isn't meek, God, would your spirit come in and wreak havoc on that this week? Would your spirit just stir in us? Would it break us down? Would you remind us that when we are weakest, we're actually strongest? Now, would you remind us that, that there is immense power in your son, Jesus Christ? And that is, that is in us and, and through us to bring, bring he- a little bit of heaven on earth right now. My God, may we be people that are marked by meekness, not so people can go, wow, look at that person, they're so meek, but so that we can be salt and light to this world, pointing to a God who's worthy of all honor. Father, may we please, would you please help us, help us to understand what it means to be meek as husbands, as wives, as fathers, as dads, as students, as employees, as children. God, would you just help us to remember what it means to just be your child. Maybe, God, this week you could, appro- you could oppose us proud people and bring us to a spot of, of humility so we can experience more of your grace. May we be people of meekness, people that recognize the power we have in you, but leave it fully under your control, Father. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.